Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for January 17th, 2018. Ten games slate and decent amount of injuries for us to go to, so jump into it so it doesn't go too long. First game on the slate is the Washington Wizards at the Charlotte Hornets. For the Wizards, there could be some value here because Markeith Morris is questionable with, let's see, what is it? Is it a knee injury? Not that it even matters. Oh, an ankle injury. It's so something. Who cares what it is? Yeah, it really doesn't matter what it is. I don't know why it was why it mattered. It's Marcus Morris with a knee injury. Markeith Morris, ankle injury. They're the same person anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but So Morris is out. Then we're probably going to see either Kelly Oubre or potentially Mike Scott start a power forward. I think that Kelly Oubre is not a particularly good player, but let's see, what are his numbers as a starter this year? Actually, very unimpressive. Uh, he's made nine starts, playing 32 minutes per game as a starter with 21.5 fantasy points. So I think he's an okay value if he starts. He's not some like slam dunk. I hope that Mike Scott starts because I think that he would be the better value. As for John Wall, I generally don't like to play him on the road because he's pretty significant home road splits. Bradley Beal's a little expensive for me. I think Porter is also rosterable at 6,100. He should also get a couple extra minutes if Morris isn't able to play. From the Hornets side of the game, let's see. We have Kemba Walker at 7,500. That's a little bit too tough a matchup for me against John Wall. Uh, one injury news we have here is Frank Kaminsky is questionable, also with an ankle injury. If Kaminsky can't play, then it's possible we see a couple extra minutes out of Dwight. I think that he's a fine play at 7,600. And then on the wing, I would guess Marvin Williams and Michael Kidd Gilchrist probably play a couple extra minutes without Kaminsky. So I think that makes them uh, decent value plays at 4,100 for Kidd Gilchrist and 4,300 for Marvin Williams. Yeah, I think this is a pretty uninteresting game overall. Uh, there was a while where John Wall had just come back and he was priced in the mid-8,000s. Now he's at 9,700, so pretty expensive. And he's coming off a really big game against the Bucks on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So he might be kind of high-owned after, after the, I think it was 55 or so fantasy points. Um, yeah, the, the only value I really like from the Wizards is whoever starts in place of Markeith Morris if he's out. So we don't even know that Morris will be out for sure, but it is the first game of the slate, so at least we'll we'll have the update before lock. Uh, whichever guy it is, I, I do think that that guy's worth rostering. And then, yeah, Frank Kaminsky's out. It, it doesn't change Dwight Howard's outlook too much, but it's probably just enough to make him worth using. But it's not like some huge value on him then. It just, I don't know, maybe it's two or three extra minutes but not the easiest matchup in the world for him anyway. I think MKG, though, would uh, have a little bit more minute security, so he might be the guy that I prefer on the Hornets. Uh, but him and Howard, I guess, would both be usable. Yeah, I definitely think Marvin Williams also, because if memory serves correct, I think it was earlier in the year when we first had, uh, when Cody Zeller first got injured and Frank Kaminsky was out then also, I'm pretty sure there was a stretch where Marvin Williams is scoring like 30 fantasy points per game. I want to see if I can find that in his game log. Do you remember that happening, or am I making that up? No, well, it wasn't that long of a stretch. Um, he played, he got up to also, 40 Marvin minutes scored, one game. Marvin Williams has scored over 30 fantasy points the last three games anyway. Yeah, and he's done that in under 30 minutes per game. Uh, he's made a crazy amount of his field goals over the last three games. Uh, he shot seven for eight last game and scored 21 points. Yeah, I agree with you. He's probably a good play, too, if Kaminsky's out. More minutes, and I guess that's really all that matters for him. He's going to shoot when he's on the court. Um, 
maybe it's a well. I guess you can weigh in. Is it is it any easier of a matchup for the Hornets if they're going against Mike Scott or possibly a small ball Kelly Oubre lineup? Um, so would it matter at all for them if Morris doesn't play? I don't think so because Morris isn't really thought of as a particularly good defender. I'll go to his uh, splits really quickly. I guess the the impact would be if Oubre starts for Morris. That's a little bit smaller of a lineup, so maybe there's. A, a bit higher tempo to the game. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even their their offense, their defensive numbers are basically the exact same with him on or off the court. Uh, their offense is actually a little bit better without Markeith Morris. I, I just think I, I think Morris is just kind of a neutral player. I don't really think he affects the game too much. Yeah, I guess the only thing he really affects for our purposes is uh, the value. Uber, the, yeah, the value of Ubre or Mike Scott. So other than that, no reason to care. Okay, next game, Spurs at Nets. Really good spot for the Spurs. Who's playing? Nobody knows ever. Even up to lock, we don't know who's playing for the Spurs most nights. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard. Um, that's a little bit too expensive for me for Aldridge. Even Leonard up at 8,700, even though it's a plus matchup, I think that it's reasonable to think he isn't going to play regular minutes quite yet. The Spurs have just been so cautious with him, and I think that when he was like 6,500 we liked him a lot, then I think it, it was not nearly as big of a deal where it's like, oh, he played like 28 to 30 minutes. Now I think he's playing 28 to 30 minutes at 8,700. That's really tough for him to hit value in that short amount of playing time. Pau Gasol is questionable with a, a wrist. I think it's actually a hand injury. He banged his hand early during the Spurs last game. He played through it, but he said he might have to sit out for this game. If he's out, uh, maybe Kyle Anderson starts and they go small ball. Uh, maybe Davis Bertans gets moved into the starting lineup. There could be some value there. It'll be something to pay attention to. Uh, for me, I'm off Aldridge and Kawhi, though. And then from the net side of the game, it's just too tough of a matchup. I don't want to roster any of them. Well, we talked a little bit before we started about the Gasol impact on Aldridge or Leonard, but it's even though it would help them a little to not have Gasol there, it probably isn't enough to make them worth using at those prices. So I'd still maybe consider them, but yeah, that that's a bit of a reach. So I don't know, it's probably better to look elsewhere. Um, I think it still could be worth considering Karis Levert. He's been playing a lot more minutes lately. He didn't play particularly well in the last game against the Knicks, but still roughly the same price at 5,400. Um, and he sh- if he's coming off the bench, he shouldn't draw much of that really tough matchup, I guess. Like Kawhi Leonard won't be guarding him. Um, so I don't know. It, it should be a slower pace game, but maybe in a blowout situation, the Spurs are playing more backups at the end of the game, easier for Levert to get production. I think I wouldn't have a ton of exposure to him, but if there's any nets got to use, it would, it would be Levert. Yeah, I think if I had to, but I prefer to just stay away from the nets with 10 other games on the slate. The Spurs are first at allowing DraftKings fantasy points to almost every single position. So it's just such a tough matchup. They're so good on defense. They play so slow also. So next game here is the New Orleans Pelicans at the Atlanta Hawks. Pelicans playing on the tail end of a back-to-back. We were looking up some of DeMarcus Cousins' career numbers, and he's one of the guys who's really been significantly worse without rest. Cousins, it was, he's shooting, was it something like 44% for his career? Uh, on the tail end of back-to-backs, whereas for his career, he's like a 46.5% uh, 
field goal shooter. So he gets affected a decent amount in these situations. It is a really easy matchup. So I would say that Davis and Cousins are both fine for GPPs, but I think they're Davis is always too risky for me in cash games, but even Cousins in this matchup would be too risky just because of the back-to-back situation. From the Hawks side of the game, I think that they benefit from the Pelicans potentially being a little tired. Also, road game back-to-back for them, um, for the Pelicans, which should help the Hawks' offense. So Dennis Schroeder at 7,500, I think, is in play. And Torian Prince at 4,900. The issue is the minutes everywhere else is kind of spread out, especially in the front court now that Dwayne Dedman's back. Yeah, Torian Prince is definitely my favorite player from the Hawks. He's been priced down after two bad games, and he, he has been dealing with that finger injury for a few games now. But it's not like all the games have been bad uh, since he got hurt. He had one particularly strong game against the Clippers after he had hurt the finger. So I don't, I don't think there's any reason to be worried about Torian Prince. Uh, the Hawks had a pretty big fourth-quarter comeback against the Spurs the other day, and Prince just wasn't on the court for that comeback, so they just left him on the bench for crunch time because I guess they were riding with the hot lineup or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about Torian Prince's minutes or Schroeder's minutes. They're both good plays, and I don't know. I probably would roster some Dwayne Dedman, some John Collins, because if the Pelicans are tired, then they're going to miss more shots. It's more rebounding opportunity for the Hawks, and John Collins has a ton of upside even in semi-limited minutes. Um, if he plays 25 minutes, let's say, then he could easily score 30 fantasy points. He's a very good point-per-minute producer, but he hasn't really been playing close to 25 minutes at all. Um, He hasn't reached that number, actually, in a couple weeks. Last game, though, he was at 22, so I don't know. I mean, he's probably worth a GPP flyer. Um, And as for the Pelicans, I don't think I'll roster Anthony Davis just because of the massive game he had against the Celtics where he had 75 fantasy points. He should be a lot higher-owned, well, he'll just be high-owned in general for the easy matchup, but I think he'll be higher-owned than Cousins, who wasn't nearly as good in the overtime game. So I, I'm much more inclined to roster Cousins. And then also, there's plenty of upside fading Davis when he'll be chalky, because as you've said, Davis leaves plenty of games early. So I don't know. It, it, Davis is more usable for tournaments if he's low-owned, which he kind of usually is, but not as of late after two ridiculous games in a row. So if Davis is going to be chalky, I think, I don't know, I don't want to root for him to get hurt, but I think it Cousins could benefit a lot if this happens to be one of the games where Davis gets injured and leaves the game early. Uh, so I'll, I'll be rostering more Cousins than Davis for sure. Yeah, I think... Um... I think Cousins is always the safer play anyway just because of the amount of games that Davis leaves early. But I think whenever Davis is going to be really high-owned, I think that he's a good guy to just stay away from. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think this is one of the rare spots, just last thing on this, one of the rare spots where there's more GPP upside in Cousins than there is in Davis because of the potential ownership, and I guess that's probably the only reason. Yeah, the price on them always ends up flip-flopping. We've seen this ever since the that Cousins has been acquired by the Pelicans. So I would assume that... The game after this one, unless something crazy happens in this game, Davis is going to be higher priced than Cousins, and we're going to see people start to just roster Davis more than Cousins. People, that's just I brought this up before. People just always gravitate towards whichever the two of them are higher priced because that's one who's been playing better in recent games. So the next game on the slate here is the Detroit Pistons at the Toronto Raptors. 
a lot of injuries for the Pistons. Uh, the Avery Bradley one is fairly significant. And then Stanley Johnson, Luke Kennard, less significant injuries, except if all three of those guys are out, there's a ton of minutes available on the wing. And I really don't know who would end up playing for them. Uh, maybe Reggie Bullock just plays a ton of minutes. Maybe Dwight Bucks ends up playing a lot. Maybe they play bigger lineups and Anthony Tolliver plays a lot more minutes. It's it's really hard to say. It could be Langston Galloway, too, just to throw one more name in there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of options. We just don't know who's playing or who's not. So whoever, if, if Avery, Avery Bradley's the most important piece of all those guys, if he doesn't play, whoever ends up starring in his place is going to be the value play. And, yeah, maybe it is Galloway, who's at 3,300. Uh, and from the other side of the game, the Toronto Raptors, uh, DeMar DeRozan, still really priced up from his time without Lowry. Uh, Lowry's price is at 7500 now, which is a bit on the cheap side for him. If I remember correctly, he was in the mid-8,000s. Uh, he was actually 8700 just about a month ago. So I think that there's upside in Lowry at 7500 and I would think people still gravitate towards rostering DeRozan anyway. Yeah, and then uh, another guy who's been priced up because another one of his teammates was out. Uh, Valanchunas is at fifty two hundred, and I guess he was he was a stronger play in the game where Ibaka was suspended, and that might have inflated his price a bit. So I don't think there's any reason to consider Valanchunas or DeRozan, but Lowry and Ibaka coming back from their absences for different reasons, but both coming back I think are worth using, and that's probably it for the Raptors. And yeah, we'll just have to see with Detroit. But if if all those guys are out, I think Ish Smith and Drummond would both be better plays. More minutes for Smith, uh, more usage, and I guess it wouldn't be more minutes for Drummond, but more usage. He'd be a better play, though, and I guess I still wouldn't roster him because the matchup is so tough. Uh, this is not a stackable game, so I wouldn't lean towards him for that reason either. But Ish Smith, I think, would see enough of a bump for the minutes floor, and I guess it even a higher minute ceiling that he'd be worth considering, even if you do think that this is a potential blowout and just a really bad matchup for Detroit. Yeah, just have to just have to wait and see who's actually playing. Uh, next game, Knicks at Memphis. The Knicks side of the game is going to be a fade for me. Tim Hardaway Jr. is back, so that takes away some usage from everybody, but then also he's not playing full minutes. So that makes him a little bit harder to use. Plus, they're playing in Memphis, which is just a really slow matchup. From the Memphis side of the game, Tyreek Evans up to 8,500. Marcus Souls at 7,800. Maybe slight value in Andrew Harrison down at 3,900 because, let's see, what was, uh, I guess a little bit, not too much. His price did get up to 4,600, so there's some price equity there. But overall, as a starter this year, he's only scoring 17 fantasy points per game. So maybe... He's worth throwing into a couple lineups. We want to save salary, but he's not somebody I feel really confident in as a play. Yeah, and I think you could say the same about Jermichael Green, who seems to be getting his minutes back. He's had a couple big games recently. One in particular against, uh, I think it was the Clippers. It was the Pelicans because he had to play extra minutes to match up against the front court. Right, right. So maybe that is the case against the Knicks too with Porzingis and Cantor. But yeah, again, that's sort of a fringy play. Uh, Courtney Lee is still kind of just too cheap always. He's down at 4,700. He'd probably be the only Nick I consider because, yeah, this is a this is a tough matchup for them. All right, next game here is the Heat at the Bucks. From the Heat side of the game, Tyler Johnson, ankle injury is not expected to play. So I th- I'm guessing that Wayne Ellington starts in his place at shooting guard. 
maybe it's Derek Jones who randomly made some starts uh, a couple weeks ago. I still think that James Johnson is a decent play here. At 5,100, he started the last couple games. He got in foul trouble two games ago, so when they played 25 minutes in last game, he played 29 minutes but just didn't play well with 17 fantasy points. I like James Johnson. I think that this is an okay enough spot for him because he does play some center minutes for the Heat, and the Bucks have been weak against centers this year. So I, I think James Johnson at 5,100, there's some upside there. Uh, let me see. What have Whiteside's minutes been recently? Uh, They've been very uh, up and down and trending down over the last two or three games. Yeah, I'm off Whiteside 7,400 despite the good matchup. Dragic, that's a tough matchup. and He's all the way up to 7,600 now, so I don't think it's a great spot for him. I, I think the best plays for the Heat are probably James Johnson then whoever starts in place of Tyler Johnson. Uh, maybe Derek Jones, if he starts at at the min price 3000 I think that he's usable. From the Bucks side of the game, we have Giannis at $10,300, Chris Middleton, $6,800, Eric Bledsoe at $7,000. I think all of those guys are okay plays. They're like worth having in a player pool if you're making multiple GPP lines, but none of them are great values at their prices. Well, uh, back to the Heat for a second. Goran Dragic actually goes up to a 31% usage rate this year when Deion Waiters and Tyler Johnson are off the court. There's just one less ball-handling guard because Waiters was already out, so one less ball-handling guard with Johnson out too. So I think it does help Dragic a lot, but it is a tough matchup in Milwaukee. I think I'd play him anyway, but the matchup is concerning. And 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 the price, it's the most expensive he's been all season. Yeah, he has been playing a lot better of late, and he's been playing more minutes, so I don't know. You kind of have to weigh all of that. Maybe it makes him a, makes a little bit of value there because the Heat really don't have a lot of players right now. They definitely don't have a lot of guards. Uh, they've they've gotten healthier in the front court, but their backcourt is really I, banged up. I think I would be more apt to use him in a cash game than GPP just because I think at that price, I don't think there's a ton of upside for him, but I just do think because of the role that he has right now, I think there's a lot of floor. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he's he's going to have to play minutes for them unless it's a huge blowout or he gets hurt or gets into foul trouble or something because they, they just have no one else. Uh, it's it's weird. The Bucks are only four-and-a-half-point favorites for this game with as injured as the Heat are. Uh, maybe there's some bias there because the Heat just beat the Bucks by, I think it was 15 points the last time they played, which was like a week the ago. Heat also, the Heat also have a better record this year. Yeah, that is... Uh, that is weird. I don't know. I, I would have thought the Bucks would be seven or eight point favorites for this game, but I guess they just they just haven't been that good, uh, or the spread is just wrong. Maybe Vegas just missed this one. So I won't fade Milwaukee because I'm worried about blowout risk or anything, but this is a down-paced game against the Heat, who do have their front court players back, so we're not going to see much small ball from the Heat. They haven't been playing Kelly Olenek as much. Uh, I'm probably off Milwaukee for the most part because of the matchup and it's kind of hard to figure out where all their production comes from anyway. I mean, Giannis is cheaper than he was previously this year, and he did have arguably his best game of the season just two days ago. But I, I don't know. I think the matchup is too difficult where it makes it. I don't think it makes sense to have more than just a little exposure, but maybe a little bit of exposure is the way to go. Uh, so get this now, looking at the Eastern Conference innings. I, don't, I, I knew that Miami had been playing better recently. They're only a game behind the Cavs now. Yeah, that is shocking. I would, I guess they just they just win with backup players. I don't know. 
Okay, so next game is the Lakers at the Thunder. From Lakers' side of the game, Lonzo Ball is not expected to play. He, uh, what was it, like a shoulder injury or something? I don't know. As we said before, it doesn't matter what the injuries are. He's not playing. That's what's important. We don't know who's starting at point guard yet. I think we're expecting Tyler Ennis to start. The other thing that is uh, somewhat significant is that Larry Nance Jr. is questionable to play. So if he isn't able to, to go, then I do think that Julius Randle becomes a safer play. And Julius Randle always has the upside. The issue is just that there's a tremendous amount of downside. So if Nance doesn't play, then I think I, I feel fine just staying away from the Lakers front court situation. If Nance is out, I feel pretty good about rostering Randall at 6,100. Uh, I guess we kind of forgot to bring that up before because I know we were kind of off Randall. We were talking pre-podcast. But would you be good with rostering Randall if Nance can't play? I would say yes, but what are the odds that we actually know with Larry Nance is going to play or not before lock this game. Actually, it's an 8 o'clock start in OKC, so maybe we will know. Uh, yeah, I do think that makes sense. I'd be more comfortable with Randall if we know that Larry Nance is out. Uh, before you get to the Thunder, though, I'll mention one more Laker guy. Kyle Kuzma has kind of seen his minutes tick back up, and especially if Larry Nance Jr. isn't playing. I think he's worth rostering at 5,900. Uh, we saw him reach... I think it was 7,500 was his peak just a couple weeks ago, and he was playing really well. I mean, there was no question he was the Lakers' best player for about a week or two, and then he just stopped getting minutes for some reason. But if he's going to play not, in the— he's not, he's not making shots. Yeah, that's true, too. Uh, but I think his minutes went away before the shot-making went away. I don't know. It, a little bit of each. Um, but the last two games he's played, 35 minutes and 29 minutes, and— he scored close to 40 fantasy points in each of the two games. So if, if he's getting the minutes again, then he's definitely someone who will be trending up both for his production and his price. Yeah, so during Kuzma's ridiculous stretch, he was shooting about 60% from the field, and he's made more than half of his shots just once in the Lakers' last 13 games. So considering that he was a bad shooter in college, I think that we could expect him to not be a great shooter in the NBA. I still think that he could be a quality NBA player, and he's definitely shown that at points in time this year, the kind of upside he has. Uh, but I do think at 5,900 he has some upside. Uh, but once again, that would be only if Larry Nance Jr. can't play. From the Thunder side of the game, uh, Steven Adams, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, I think all three of them are in play for GPPs. For cash games, it's just tough to roster them because there's – going to be a decent amount of lot risk here the Lakers are not a good team yeah we don't have um we don't have a spread for this game but I'm actually not sure that Lonzo Ball being out hurts the Lakers chances of winning there's no question that Lonzo Ball has a lot of potential as an NBA player and he definitely has talent but is he a good NBA player right now I would say probably not so the Lakers and the Lakers have a lot of depth too they have a lot of decent players for some reason they don't even play Jordan Clarkson so, I don't know. I don't think it hurts the Lakers' chances of keeping the game close without ball, really, at all. And I guess there's still blowout risk anyway, just because it's a tough matchup in OKC. But if ball, well, we know ball is out. If Nance Jr. is out, I think this game does become stackable because the Thunder should be low owned with the fear of the blowout risk. And Westbrook also had a kind of disappointing fantasy game the other night where he was in the low 50s in uh, in fantasy production with about three minutes left, and then he got thrown out of the game. 
So if you just look at the total output, he he didn't have a good game, but he probably would have if he had stayed in until the end. And, yeah, I mean, uh, he was an assist away from a triple-double, so just that one assist would have been a four-and-a-half point play, which he almost certainly would have gotten in the last few minutes of the game. Uh, to the point on Lonzo Ball, here's one thing that I do think could help Westbrook a little bit. So the Lakers score more points per 100 possession with Ball off the floor, but their defense, they give up, 106.1 points per 100 possession with Lonzo on the court. With Lonzo off the court, they give up 113.3 points per 100 possessions. So that's a 7.2 point difference per 100 possessions. That is, uh, yeah, I would not have thought that Lonzo Ball has actually helped the Lakers defensively this year. Maybe Tyler Ennis and Jordan Clarkson are just even worse on defense. Yeah, but- I think I think one thing that probably helps Lonzo defense is he's very long. So I think that probably helps him stay in front of a lot of the athletic Western Conference point guards. Yeah, and then the Lakers' defense overall, we were kind of talking about them being underrated about a month or two ago. But I think a lot of that had to do with Brooke Lopez being good defensively at the rim, despite the reputation of being soft or whatever, because he doesn't get a lot of rebounds. But Brooke Lopez basically doesn't play anymore. I mean, maybe he's playing 15 to 20 minutes. The Lakers are worse defensively without him. They're playing smaller lineups, more up-tempo without him. Julius Randle is not good defensively, even though he is, maybe he's a better player than Brooke Lopez overall. I think I'd still say probably not. Uh, I guess the bottom line is that it's it's a very good matchup for the Thunder, and their core players could have a really strong game if the game is close. So I think I would roster Westbrook, Adams, Paul George, probably not Carmelo, but those three guys with... Uh, definitely with Randall and probably with Kuzma also, assuming Larry Nance Jr. is out, and then just kind of have a four or five player game stack there. Because I, I think it could be a really high upside combination if the game happens to be close. Yeah, definitely the Thunder side of the game. Like, there's no team that I think is a better individual matchup on the slate than the Thunder just because of the Lakers' defense trending downward, worse without Lonzo Ball, and just that pace, big pace up for the Thunder. Just the issue is that that blowout risk. So next game here, Golden State Warriors, the Chicago Bulls. For me, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, both just too expensive. 10-6 for Durant, 10-4 for Curry. One place this does get interesting, Draymond Green, questionable. Andre Iguodala, questionable. If both of them are out, I wouldn't be shocked to see Jordan Bell in the starting lineup again. Jordan Bell got his first career start when the Warriors played the Bulls earlier in the year, and he had a really big game. And Steve Kerr said the only reason he started Jordan Bell in that game was because the Bulls had drafted Jordan Bell, and then they traded him to the Warriors for cash. So Steve Kerr just kind of take a jab at him, started Jordan Bell in that game, played him a ton of minutes. I wouldn't be shocked to see him do that again. Yeah, it's a weird thing that we're kind of playing for the revenge here, but... I don't know. We'll have to know, though, that Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala are out, or at least one of them are out. And looking at this slate, it actually is kind of helpful because eight of the ten games start at 8 o'clock or earlier. Usually the games are more spread out, but we we actually have a lot of early-ish games on this slate. This game being in Chicago and having an 8 o'clock start, there's a decent chance we do know the Warriors' injury news before lock. So that's something to definitely monitor because I don't think this game is very playable if uh, if the Warriors are fully healthy, I don't really think there's any value on Golden State and Chicago with Zach Levine about. We were talking before the podcast, just minutes are harder to predict, uh, less usage for Chris Dunn with Zach Levine on the court, 
And with Meritich back, it's tougher for Markkanen. It does seem like Bobby Portis is getting phased out a little bit. So I do like Markkanen and Meritich somewhat. But it's not a great game overall, even though it does have the highest total on the slate by far at 230 points. Yeah, the issue is just that even though the Warriors play at such a fast pace and they have so many high-scoring games, they're still really good on defense. So there's really no position other than center that they struggle against for fan, for DFS purposes. And that's not really a spot where we could exploit that with the, with the Bulls anyway because... I don't. I, I don't think I've rostered Robin Lopez once this entire season. This isn't the spot where I'd want to start rostering Robin Lopez. All right, so we're rostering Robin Lopez because it doesn't seem like he could have a good game, and I think he'll be really low owned. Right? That's the. That's where you're going with that one. Yeah, just because of his hair. Yeah. Uh, that game's probably going to be a fade for me, and yeah, there's also still so the blowout risk that's always associated with any any Warriors game. Uh, two games left here: Utah Jazz and the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the Jazz were incredibly disappointing their last time out. That was a game that we had stacked a little bit, and there was just so many bad performances from the Jazz. Uh, I think Derek Favors is playable at 6,400. Donovan Mitchell's playable at 7,300. Joe Ingles was awful in the Jazz last game. It was easily his worst game of the season. He only played 20 minutes, but for the most part, the minutes have been really consistently above 30. I think that he should get back to above 30 at 4,700. I do think that he's a rosterable play here. From the Kings side of the game, the Kings have a new system that they're running with Dave Yeager. We actually saw them do this at the end of the year last year. They're going to be resting a couple of veteran players every game for the rest of the season. It's really annoying for now because we don't know who's going to be playing, who's going to be sitting. Scal is also questionable with an injury. So this is kind of a wait-and-see situation. Who's actually playing for the Kings? Who's starting? And then maybe we can figure out where value is from there. Well, if Scal's out and... We know that Zach Randolph sat last game. I think he would be pretty interesting as a play at 5,400, which is a lot lower of a price than he was when he was playing pretty especially well a few weeks ago. So I like Randolph if we know that Scal is out because we can probably assume that the Kings won't rest the same guys two games in a row, right? Or is it just completely unknown what they're going to be doing? We have no clue. Uh, I think... I, I think we would think that they're not going to rest the same guys two games in a row, except we don't totally know that. Yeah, well, Randolph is definitely a bit of a risk then, but I still think there's a lot of upside for him. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is much safer and might have more upside if Scala isn't playing, so we'll need that information because it'll be more minutes for Cauley-Stein. Uh, he should play a lot of minutes anyway. But the guy I like from the Kings the most is De'Aaron Fox. I think it would make sense for George Hill to sit this game out because he played last game. And Darren Fox has just been really good over the last week or two, and he's only at 5,100. He's playing 25 to 30 minutes a game. Could be even more than that if Hill is out. So there's a lot of upside for Fox, and he probably won't be that popular because of this perceived difficult matchup against the Jazz, which it still seems like people haven't realized isn't a difficult matchup anymore with Rudy Gobert not not in the uh, lineup. Yeah, I definitely think, especially if George Hill doesn't play, then really strong play for De'Aaron Fox. He's also been playing better recently. He's been over 30 fantasy points in, I don't have it in front of me. I think it's five uh, straight I, games. More, more, more games than not since he came back from injury. He's been over 30 fantasy points in most of them. 5,100, so we only need 25 and a half points from the 5x value. So I do think that De'Aaron Fox is a good play for tomorrow. And then even if George Hill does play, I think that Fox is still in play. Just he's a really strong play if George Hill doesn't go. 
Yeah, and, and uh, just back to the Jazz for a second. I don't know. I think I roster Ingles again, just because forty seven hundred is is a cheap enough price for him where he should produce. But Joe Ingles never has huge fantasy games, so with a slate this big, I just don't think he has a lot of upside. But he he would be someone I would plug in if I have exactly that amount of money left for for a roster spot. I'm not off Joe Ingles because of how bad he was last game. I think that was just an anomaly, and usually the core Jazz guys will play somewhat well. Uh, Ricky Rubio was also dealing with an ankle. I think it was an ankle injury, but I guess it doesn't matter because who cares what the injury type is. But Rubio should play. I guess he might be limited, so that could be a bit of a boost to the other Utah players. He's been limited. He's basically been limited. Because of Donovan Mitchell all season anyway. Yeah, let, let's say more limited where maybe he plays less than 20 minutes. Because I guess that does sometimes happen when Rubio is dealing with whatever tweaks. All right, final game on the slate. Uh, this is going to be another tricky one. The Denver Nuggets at the LA Clippers. The Nuggets, it looks like they're going to be playing more small ball lineups going forward. That's great for Nikola Jokic. Jokic plays much better with Mason Plumlee off the floor. There's more space for him to operate. Plumlee also just kind of sucks. So as good of a passer as Jokic is, for them to be playing four guys who could shoot around him, that's just a ridiculous amount of space for him to work with. We saw that culminate tonight. He finished with a season high, oh, not even a season high, uh, 67 fantasy points. He did have a 74 fantasy point game earlier in the year, but he just tore apart Dallas. As long as Mason Plumlee isn't in the starting lineup, we're going to see more of that from Jokic. Jokic was priced at almost 11000 last year. And I think that that is probably where he should be priced if he's the starting center again and Plumlee comes off the bench. Uh, so Will Barton starting in place of Mason Plumley? Expect that to happen again. He's a fine play, 5,500. He correlates extremely negatively with Jamal Murray. So I, I find it tough to roster Murray and Barton together. We saw that happen tonight where Barton had a decent game. Murray sucked. So... If you prefer Barton tomorrow, I don't think Murray makes for a particularly strong play. Gary Harris at 6,000. I almost always like Gary, especially lately. He's been really consistent. Uh, Let's see. He's been at at least 30 fantasy points in six of his last eight games, and then, or five of his last eight. Even the games below, though, there was a 29 point game, a 28 point game. There's a lot of floor to Gary Harris, and a decent amount of ceiling also. He scored over 40 fantasy points today with the smaller lineup. From the Clippers' side of the game, DeAndre Jordan's listed as questionable, but Doc Rivers said he's not going to play. So I'm assuming that he's out for now. As for where the minutes are going to go in his place, it is really difficult to figure out. Willie Reed started the last two games. He played 27 minutes two games ago and was really good. Then last game, he wasn't even that bad per minute. He just only played eight minutes. So... I don't know what they're going to do in the front court, and it's really hard to guess. For the Nuggets, there's a couple things to like and a couple things not to like about this game. Uh, yeah, the Nuggets playing small ball definitely helps all of their players, and they're kind of just too cheap anyway. I think Barton and Murray and Jokic and uh, I guess Gary Harris, those guys are all strong plays, just uh, playing more up-tempo with smaller lineups. They're just better offensively when they play small. And uh, it should help, too, that DeAndre's out. We haven't really seen this manifest yet, but with DeAndre Jordan not playing, uh, the Clippers are more likely to play smaller lineups, but they're also just worse at defending the rim because DeAndre Jordan is one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. So it's it's a really good spot for the Nuggets, but 
Well, there are two problems for stacking the game. It's the Clippers are kind of expensive, so it's not it's not ideal for game stacks because Blake Griffin maybe he's fairly priced. Lou Williams kind of fairly priced. I think they're usable, but there isn't some great value where you know the strongest game stacks are when you have value on both teams and uh, you can just pair all the guys together and they all make for good independent plays and then you're just getting extra correlation. But then the other the other problem is what you mentioned with Will Barton, Jamal Murray. Both are strong plays, but they are negatively correlated. So I think the better route here is to just use Barton or Murray with Harris and Jokic and kind of make mini stacks because it's a little bit tough for a game stack. Yeah, I think I do think that makes sense. So that'll finish today's podcast. You follow me on Twitter at GAaronBergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. Let's see. Do we have a playable slate on Thursday? Uh, Thursday. Yeah, we'll do a podcast.